0: This episode is brought to you by Uncharted Veterinary Conference. Learn more at unchartedvet.com. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri, College of Veterinary Medicine. Today is a big day because I am super honored and thrilled to welcome onto the podcast one of the biggest virtual mentors for vet students and veterinarians out there, boarded veterinary medical oncologist, Dr. Sue Ettinger. So if you spend any time on social media and follow anything veterinary related, you've more than likely come across Dr. Sue Cancer Vet. Dr. Sue has built quite the following and has developed a really great way to influence people in our profession, especially in the care of patients with cancer. But today we're not going to talk about cancer. Instead, I wanted to pick Dr. Sue's brain about how she was able to stand out as a veterinarian and what we can do to do the same. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sue. How's it going?
1: It is going great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank
0: you. I am honored to have Dr. Sue Cancer Vet here on the podcast. So uh, we actually met at the Uncharted Veterinary Conference, which is where we are right now. Um, So I I am really, truly honored to have you on, on the podcast. So thanks for coming on
1: thank you for having me.
0: Great. So the first question that I always, of course, start off with is who are you? Tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your background and what you're doing.
1: I am a medical oncologist, a boarded medical oncologist in private practice in the metro New York area. I have been a veterinarian now. This is, will be my 20 year anniversary this year.
0: Congratulations. So I'm an old
1: dog <laughs> who's been around the block for a little bit. In addition to being a medical oncologist in private practice, I do a ton of speaking, and I love to raise cancer awareness mm-hmm. through lecturing speaking and through talking to pet owners, predominantly through social media.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I know that you've got a huge successful social media presence, so if you have not followed Dr. Sue, Uh, on the worldwide interweb, please do so. Um, So today's topic that I wanted to pick your brain about is not necessarily medicine-related, but it is definitely something that is important, I think, for vet students and new grads especially. And that is, how do we stand out as new graduates? Um, and even if you, we can we can even expand that to how do you stand out in anything for that matter, whether or not a, a student leader in your class or an extern or what have you, but how do you stand out amongst a group of people? And you've done a great job of that, building your own brand in cancer awareness and, and treatment and, and all of that, even though you work for a, a, a pretty large hospital um, and have your hands in a lot of different um, areas, so I know you do a, a big talk on this entrepreneurship, which I think is going to tie into this quite well. But that is all about building something within someone else's something. Is that right?
1: Exactly. And I didn't set out when I became a medical oncologist to build the Doctor Sue brand. I had very little business training in vet school. Going to date myself, but the VBMA did not exist. You know, when I was going through vet school, so I went into practice and was a very Happy medical oncologist mm-hmm. in private practice. I co wrote a book called The Dog Cancer Survival Guide, and t- it was published in 2011 with a vet school classmate of mine. And that was what set me off to start the web, start my webpage, and start a Facebook page at that time. And I think what can help somebody stand out is. I accidentally got into all this, but I realized that I had a really good voice to connect with pet owners and veterinarians, and I have this passion, which has become my purpose to raise cancer awareness. So I think a way to stand out, first of all, you have to figure out what you love and what you really love doing, because if you're gonna spend so much time dedicating to a project, for me, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, has right. become my project. You have to figure out what you love because I couldn't dedicate the time and energy to this like you de- dedicate to your podcast if you didn't love what you were doing. So sure. I think that helps you stand out. First, figure out what you love, what you're good at, and then take it you know to the next level.
0: Sure. So any tips for finding out what, what you love to do. I know that when we're in school, there's so many things that we we love. We, we go to oncology, but like, God, I, I love oncology. And then we, we go over to internal medicine. Man, I really like internal medicine. So mm-hmm. like by the end of it, you're like, well, well, damn, I don't really know what I want to do. Um, but how do you how do you get down to narrowing down what you really love to do? I mean, we can't do everything. And I think that's one of the, actually the pitfalls of veterinary medicine, which is a whole nother topic for another time. Right. But um, you, know, you, you got to figure out what your your true passion is in this profession. So so how do you go about narrowing that down?
1: Do you know what I wanted to be when I was in vet school? What I was going to specialize in?
0: Well, I know, but why don't you tell us?
1: I wanted to be a surgeon. Yeah. So why did I want to be a surgeon? So when I was at Cornell at the time, we didn't have a dedicated oncology service. So the oncology cases came through internal medicine. And when you were a student, rotating through that they didn't assign the oncology cases to students. They stayed with the nurses and the staff doctors. They were coming in off and they kind of just wanted to make it more convenient and less, I guess, less troublesome to have students on those cases, to be honest. There was a surgeon who loved what he did and he picked one or two students a year and sort of brought us under his wings and showed us how exciting surgery was. And I was like, I'm gonna be a surgeon. I'm gonna fix stuff. I went into my internship with the intent of applying for a surgical residency It was at AMC, Animal Medical Center, that I had my first oncology exposure. And I was like, I love this. This is really exciting. I love the cases. I love the connection. I started to love the science behind it. And I thought, well, but I want to be a surgeon. So I applied for a surgical, I still went for the surgery match, but I said, maybe I'll just do surgical oncology. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I didn't match. And that failure, thank goodness, became the moment where I had, you know, and it took me a month. I was like, I don't really want to be a surgeon, but somebody else's passion and excitement got me really excited to be a surgery. And it was then that I changed my career path, which is not easy to do. right? Because when you're applying for a different specialty, they don't believe that you're actually dedicated. So I actually had to apply for an oncology residency twice before I matched, so I applied oh, wow. for surgery then I applied for oncology didn't match and then I had to apply again so there's a lot of failure in that you know to get to the point where I want but I think the problem is you know they say follow your passion but sometimes we don't know what our passion is and sometimes it's going to lead to failure even though I don't really think it's failure right? but How do you find, I think it's a little bit of trial and error for me. And I think it can be, you know, the first interest when you go through exactly what you said, you go through, you know, fourth year and you're going through, you're like, oh, but I love that. I love that. I think you just have to give yourself time to figure out what you really, really
0: love. Right. Definitely. So then once you have figured out that, that passion, that why, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, and and you get out of school and you find that first job and, and now you're this super green veterinarian that that you, in your mind, no one trusts because you you don't think you know anything, but you do. Your clients don't know that you feel that way, um, which, you know, is a whole, again, another topic for mm-hmm. imposter syndrome and, and just not feeling like you're ready once you get out into practice. Um, but what can you do when you're that new guy, um, but you really want to stand out? And you know that that in terms of getting your medicine skills and surgery skills up to snuff is going to take a couple years because that's, the only way it's gonna happen. Um, What else can you be doing in those first couple years out in practice?
1: I remember being at my internship at Animal Medical Center and you're seeing these cases, we call it on the double, like the emergency cases, and I just was like, please don't ask me how long I've been a vet. Please don't (laughs) ask me how long I've been a vet because the answer is three weeks. Right. You know, So it is very nerve wracking. So I mean, for the experience, you have the information and the rest you know, hopefully you will come into a practice where I really, my personal opinion, even if you're not going to go and do a special do a residency, I loved, I think if you find a quality internship, for me that gave me the experience because by the time I finished my internship, I felt really comfortable that I could pretty much do, Like, I went and did some emergency shifts and I was like, whatever comes in comes, I, I felt right. really comfortable. So for me, they probably gave me a couple years worth of experience. And I probably worked a couple of years you yeah, know, right. for very little pay, but I really like looking back at it. I was very, I'm very thankful for that experience that I got. So on the one side, it's gaining your medical experience, but in terms of being able to and and learning and getting comfortable and gaining the confidence, and that just comes from experience. But in terms of what you can do as an associate to stand out, that's where I think. For me, the brand development of Dr. Sue Cancer Vet has been really valuable in ways that I didn't know I was going to reap the benefits of. But, you know, by having a web presence, by having a Facebook page, I mean, one of the things that I love is my, I mean, before I go see a a doctor for my kids, I I Google, right? I wanna know who I'm going to see. And people know about me and they follow me on Facebook. I'm not kidding, there will be a new client who I will meet next week who will ask me how South Carolina was because they were seeing the pictures and they were posting it and it gives them that connection. And one of the things we've been talking about at my talks, right? People do business, and we are veterinarians, we are bus- We are in a business with people they know, like, and trust. And I feel like by having a brand, you are already developing that relationship with your clients before they walk in the door. And I think that will help you stand out in your practice if you can develop that relationship with your clients. And it will make your job easier. Because right. if they know you and they like you and they trust you, they're gonna listen to your recommendations.
0: Right. So let's talk about trust for a second, because that's been one of the overarching themes, uh, at least in the past year of, of my training, that, that when it comes down to it, the trust that your clients have in you is going to make or break um, the, the, the the care that you give to their, their pets and, and your patients. So give us a few uh, pointers on ways to build and gain trust in clients as a new vet.
1: I think of like a when you're in the exam room with your clients. And I think there are some good communication tips that I didn't really get as a vet student. And to be honest, if I got them as a vet student, they were not things that I remembered. Cause when I was in vet school, I wanted to pass boards. I had to learn about ho- horses and cows and goats and all these other things that I don't think about as a vet, you know, as right. a small animal medical oncologist, but I had to learn all these things. So I think ways that you gain trust are things that you do in the exam room. So I always tell people, it's not what you know, it's how you say it, and it's how you talk to your clients. So lots of things, body language when you're in the room. I used to go in, do my exam, and then I tell people, okay, so we're gonna talk about lymphoma, for example gonna tell you what tests we're going to do we're going to talk about the different treatment options we're going to cost talk about cost and we're going to talk about prognosis and they would have a list and i'd say okay and i'll get to your questions at the end and i go through my whole spiel and i'd say what well, questions they may had one or two but they would check them off and I've realized as I've di- been diving into this communication skills, I've been doing it all wrong. It needs to be a dialogue. So now I go in and I do my exam and I say, OK, what do you know about your dog's lymphoma? And so the idea is you investigate before you tell. So you find out what they know because then you're, you're hearing what their problems are. Right. What are their concerns? For some people, they say, I'm ready to give chemo, I just need to know how much it costs. Or this is my budget and I'm really worried about getting here because you know my husband and I both work and we have kids and and things like that so I think those are the ways that you gain trust in the exam room and you actually listen to their their needs and then you tailor what you're saying the other exam room tip that I have, again, I used to go in and kind of give this monologue, and they call that the shot put method, where you're just data dumping on them. Right. And it should be the Frisbee method. And I always say, if you and I were going to go to the park down the street and play Frisbee, and I held on to the Frisbee, would you want to play Frisbee with me? Probably not. No. So when you're in the exam room, think about your conversation like a Frisbee, and toss it back and forth. So they call the method the chunk and check method, which right. I love. Chunks of information and check for understanding. And the idea is that you're, it's more of this research Typical conversation with clients I think I did a good job in the exam room before I started incorporating this but I have seen my the trust grow in that first appointment the other thing is that when I see people getting upset I'm a hugger yeah I think I probably already hugged you since we've been here yep. I'll ask somebody especially when they're getting emotional is it okay if I give you a hug? So again, I'm trying to develop that relationship. And the other advice I have to general practitioners who are in practice is, in general, you've built that relationship and your clients trust you more than they trust the, the oncologist or the surgeon that you're sending them. Because mm-hmm. I try to call the vet within an hour or two, and usually the owner has called them from the parking lot. Right. Because they're like, can I run this by you? So, it, it really pays dividends to, to spend time with them, ask questions. I like to get to know about my clients. They like to get to know about me. That doesn't Every vet doesn't feel comfortable. But I think those are the things that you can do to gain trust.
0: Right. And another thought that I had, which I haven't had a lot of chance to practice out in the real world, obviously, is ways to show empathy and that you care. I think that's another big one. Because mm-hmm. um, I think far too often we get so busy, especially when we're on rotations in the hospital where we're seeing, even though it's a few clients uh, a day, the amount of paperwork that we have to do just for learning purposes, and we're just running around like chickens with mm-hmm. our head cut off, is that we get into this groove of, of just, we got to get it done. I don't really care about my, my communication technique. Let's mm-hmm. just get it done. Um, But that that's going to be a problem if you keep that going, you know, throughout your career. So if you can slow down and and get back to why you wanted to be a veterinarian, like think about that before you go into the room so that you can be empathetic and be really caring and um, and just personable, that's going to, you know, really help build that trust.
1: I always say put yourself in the client's shoes. And think about how you would feel if you were about to find out that your pet had cancer or that your pet was a diabetic. And so the other thing that I've started to incorporate on all of my patients' discharges. So I have this little section, visit notes from Dr. Sue, and if it's the first time I'm meeting them, I say, we are all rooting for Ollie. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not, you know, so they realize that we are all on the same team, and again, it's one of those empathetic phrases. And I tell people to get a couple, I have a list of empathy phrases in my communication lecture. I say, just put two or three into your wheelhouse. One of them is, this is not the results that we were hoping for, right? That's a little bit better than saying, I know this is what, you, were, you know, you weren't hoping for this. Right. Because that's your problem. Now I've made it our problem. And sure. we always say like, Team Ollie, Team Tanner, you know, with hashtags and right. stuff. Because again, we are their team, we are their community, and we are their tribe.
0: Sure. Another thing you do really well, which you also talk about online and in your talks is the importance of of education. And just I've seen just times, even though in in my infancy of my career in training that when I have the chance to educate a client about something that we feel is mundane or totally elementary, but to them, it's their minds just been blown. um, That's another really good way to bond with a client and to make sure that they're helping their pets. So you've done a great job of, 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 training, really, training clients to, to stop thinking that cancer is a death sentence, for example, and that there are ways to, to treat this and to make their the animal's life better uh, and to keep it as, as well as possible until, unfortunately, they, they pass on. But, um, yeah, education, I mean, that's that's a huge thing.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, there's two audiences that I'm always hoping to educate. One are our veterinarians, because a lot of us, unfortunately, you know, for me, I didn't have a lot of oncology exposure. Mm-hmm. And a lot of veterinarians, sometimes they end up in a practice where the culture of the practice doesn't support treating cancer. And I know that sounds really weird, but I have veterinarians who come up to me and they're like, my practice doesn't even think that we should refer them. They just think that, you know, we just kind of keep them comfortable for a little bit and there are no options. So you may end up in one of those practices, sadly. So it's great to know then they come back from my lectures, they're like, Oh my goodness, this it's exciting. There are options for these cancer patients. So I love to educate veterinarians about the different options. And then I love to educate pet owners, because if I can educate pet owners, it's gonna be a heck of a lot easier when they go into you and you have to talk to them about cancer or they have to, you know, unfortunately get referred.
0: Right. All right. So, Dr. Sue, my last question for you, and this kind of ties back all into what we started off talking about, which was really trying to stand out as a new veterinarian or even as a as a seasoned veterinarian. But the the mindset that I think we should be going into our first job or second or third job, what have you, of knowing that we have the opportunity to build something for ourselves, to build our own brand, to be our own person, to stand out. Uh, in someone else's practice, because I feel like sometimes as new graduates we go into this first job thinking that we're at the mercy of of our practice owner or whoever uh, hired us, what have you. But really, there's a lot of opportunity there to be our own person to to build something for ourselves. So I want to got to get your two cents on that.
1: So I don't want people to walk away from this thinking that brands are only for practices. I think brands, I think there's a great place for brands for individuals within the practice. And I actually, as I've been doing this, I've seen all these benefits, like we've talked about. People feel like they know, like, and trust me, and it makes my job easier. It also has made my job more fun. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we didn't really talk about is I've always been in very large corporate practices when I've done this. So I developed the brand and I talked to my company, I talked to my managers about what I'm doing. I think one of the reasons Dr. Sue has been able to be successful is it's a positive brand. Even though it's about cancer and cancer patients die, it's still a hopeful page and it's a page about education. But I think that even young associates should think about what their brand is And as we talked about why we're here, you have to clarify your message. Don't just have a brand to have a brand, right? What is the message that you're trying to share and what is the story that you wanna tell? And as I always try to remind everybody, the brand isn't really about me. Right. I consider myself the guide and I think that's really important when you develop a brand is know what your mission is. But my belief is that our mission as veterinarians with our brand is to guide the client or the pet through, you know, they're the, the hero of our story. They're the character of our story, and is to guide them through that. But again, you have to define what you want to do. But I think a brand is really important, even for a young associate, to think about what it is and the message that you want to share.
0: Absolutely, very well said. All right, Doctor C, this has been awesome. Exceeded all of expectations, which were already super high. So, um, so thank you very much for for coming onto the podcast again. I'm I'm very honored. Um, and uh, I guess the last question is, where can more people find out more about what you're doing now?
1: So I just recently relaunched my website because I realized it was, needed, it was due for an update, so com. I'm on Facebook. Uh, a little bit of Twitter, doing a little bit more Instagram. And then one of the new th- my, you know, new things that I've been doing in the last year is YouTube. So I've been mm-hmm. doing vlogs thanks to Cody Creelman, the cow vet. And that's just been another fun way to share what I'm doing behind the scenes with other veterinarians and then with uh, pet owners as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So if you have not checked out Dr. Sue yet, please do yourself a favor and do that. Um, so one more time, thank you very much for, uh, for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes to let us know what you think about the podcast. For resources and more information, please check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram at SethTheAlmostVet. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's podcast, and I'd also love to hear any suggestions or topics you want to hear us talk about. Even reach out if you want to be on the podcast and share some insight of your own. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM.